Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with your 2023 WWE Night of Champions instant reaction. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are convening just moments after WWE Night of Champions went off the air to break down every single thing that happened on this big time premium live event from WWE. A triple main event as advertised, three women's matches and an intercontinental championship all on the line Saturday afternoon at WWE Night of Champions. We have a huge show, plenty to get to today. So let me quickly remind you off the top that this podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. You know the drill. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, don't forget, I happen to love the number five. Become an official getting overhead. Get bonus audio, news posts, and more. Join us over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over the cost is only $5 a month and it directly supports the show. And finally, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast for episode drops, news, highlights, analysis, all that good stuff, along with the ability to vote in our pre and post show polls for premium live events. Your votes will be heard later in this episode. And you can also send us DMs, tweets, all that good stuff. And join us live on Twitter spaces for premium live event and pay-per-view previews. Already in the can this week were ultimate previews for the three shows this weekend, of course, WWE Night of Champions, NXT Battleground, and AEW Double or Nothing. We will be back with another Instant Reaction Podcast Sunday for NXT and AEW, and you want to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast so you can be involved in all the preparation for that. Now, this is an Instant Reaction show here at Getting Over, and especially for these shows, we kick them off a certain way. And that is by cracking open a cold one. The Silver King has blood orange dreamsicle from Terrapin Brewing in Georgia. Vintage Chris Vanini, welcome to the show. What do you have over there? I've got uh, back to the spotted cow from New Glarus Brewing in Wisconsin. Is that at least a beer this time? It is a beer. I haven't pulled (laughs) this one out in a while, but uh, it's a good one. All right. get it in Wisconsin, but we have some people who bring them down. Well, hey, Wisconsin, you know, generally good beers. I'll tell you, Georgia's a really good craft beer scene as well. But we are going to be refreshed. And I think it's fair to say, given we are taping this in the afternoon on Saturday, we're both energized coming out of WWE Night of Champions. Usually we give a huge intro and we talk about the show overall. But Chris, I really believe so much happened that we should get right into it. Now, that said, a lot did go down Friday night on SmackDown. It was a go-home show taped last week. But there's going to be a number of elements, a number of different points during this instant reaction breakdown where we first cover what happened on SmackDown. We're going to keep that as brief as possible, with the exception of the main event at WWE Night of Champions, where we need to get into it deep. So with that said, let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into the instant reaction. We're going to break down every match, give you our thoughts, our grades, what we believe is going to happen moving forward. And then at the end, we will grade the entirety of WWE Night of Champions. The main event of this triple main event was the undisputed tag team championships. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn defending against Roman Reigns, who was celebrating 1,000 days as WWE Universal Champion, going back to the Universal title reign, and Solo Sokoa. But before we get to the match itself, a ton happened on SmackDown 
and before the bell actually rang on Saturday. So let's get to that first. On SmackDown, Chris, Paul Heyman told the Usos in the Bloodline locker room that they would not be at Night of Champions, but were invited to the 1,000-day title celebration. Rain said he was excited to have them there at SmackDown, especially Jay, which clearly ticked Jimmy off. He stood up to leave and then refused to sit, despite Roman telling him to do so twice. So Reigns got in his face. They kind of squared up. Then Solo Sokoa stared at his brother. Roman said that he's whooped him his entire life, and Jimmy would respect, obey, and acknowledge him. Then Reigns basically kicked him out. And it was clear from this moment moving forward, they are going heavy on the bloodline tension and breakup teases. And it's interesting that the animosity has finally circled to Jimmy, who was never forced to fall in line like Jay was. That's not saying Jimmy never questioned Roman, but if you remember, it was quicker and without the physical abuse, it was Roman who had to beat down Jay and Jay took that beating and eventually succumbed to Roman to save his brother. You couple that with Reigns and Sokoa bumping shoulders on Monday and it was clear just from this, and this is how the show started, that everything was heating up. I thought it was a really well-executed segment that definitely built that animosity. Yes, it did. Let's keep going. All right. Uh, so we had the KO show with Reigns and Sokoa. This was the main event segment on SmackDown. Heyman entered instead saying the Tribal Chief is not on their time. He operates on his own time. Then the Usos stormed past Paul to his surprise. KO said he didn't understand why Sammy still cared about the Usos, but that Zayn has been right about everything regarding Reigns. Owens said that the Usos were the heart of the bloodline being treated like an appendix, going from being the greatest tag team in the history of WWE to being Reigns' little errand boys. Jimmy then dropped this line. So when it comes to Jimmy and Jay, the Usos, when it comes to the day once, hey, Us, I am the tribal chief. And that's obviously a minor version of Jay's I don't give a damn what the tribal chiefs say from all those months ago. Heyman was astonished. Reigns entered. He stared down Jay briefly and then Jimmy for an extended time. Sammy then told Roman he has to know it's over. The bloodline is collapsing and it's all his own fault. So Reigns smacked the mic out of Zayn's hands. Owens got pissed and hit Roman with a freaking stunner. The Usos brawled with the champions. Sokoa eventually appeared for a pair of Samoan spikes. Reigns then yelled for Solo to pick them up. He literally exploded a desk chair to pieces by throwing it out of the ring. Then he speared Sammy. The Usos then picked up the tag team titles with Jay immediately presenting them to Solo. Jimmy, delayed for about 30 seconds, decided not to hand them to Roman until Jay took them from him, delayed himself, and then handed them over. Reigns then held all four tag team titles in the air himself, not letting Solo carry them. Jay stood behind him holding up the one, and Jimmy pouted in the corner, not getting involved in any of this. And I will tell you this right now. SmackDown was somewhat rough on Friday. We'll talk more about that on Tuesday's show. That's to be expected from a taped go-home show like this. But holy shit, was this a straight fire go-home segment. There was so much here that I hate that we have to shove it into an instant reaction show. We already discussed the Jimmy stuff a moment ago. But dropping that line to further the story was superb. The best part was the continuation of Sammy's fracturing of the bloodline. It's great that they haven't moved past that, despite it being five months since he actually turned. KO and Sammy are getting into the Usos' heads. Reigns is viscerally reacting to it. KO is getting up on Reigns before they actually got outnumbered. And then Roman teased and disrespected them by holding up all four tag team titles with Jimmy visibly furious at him standing in the corner. 
All of it made for a perfectly executed go-home moment leading into a major show. And I'd say more if we had more time, but that about sums up why it was so freaking great. Yeah, that was one hell of a go-home segment, and it actually got me excited in a way that I thought Roman and Solo winning the titles would actually be pretty cool if it did happen. Uh, (laughs) The way this played out was almost like, it's like the big cousin coming in and stealing your girlfriend or like you got dumped and she's, he's going to yeah. go win back your girlfriend for himself. Uh, just incredible vibes from that great visual. And, and Sammy saying, you realize it's over. The bloodline is is collapsing because of you with that grin on his face. Um, that was a heck of a go home segment. It, it, it gets resolved later on, on night of champions. So we can move into that, I guess. But it was, it was so great. You mentioned it cause I didn't really circle in on it. Um, Sammy saying that, and doing so while Roman was staring Jimmy in the eyes and Reigns head snapping to the right to look at Zayn furious that he like told him the truth of like, hey, dude, the shit is all falling around, you know, all around you. And it's completely your fault. And I told you this was going to be the case. And I told them that was going to be the case. What a moment that was. That was on SmackDown. Um, now let's go over to Night of Champions where I, we actually have a couple things to talk about before we get into the match itself. So Sammy walked up to KO backstage. He was thrilled about their title run. He said, look, even if it ends tonight, and then Owens cut him off saying it's not going to end. Razin is like, look, Reigns always finds a way. KO reminded that they won the titles from the Usos, who are a better tag team than Roman and Solo. Then he got amped up, like motivating Sammy, saying, I don't give a damn about Roman. I'm sick of hearing about him. And today's the day. This is the place that Reigns loses. I thought this was such a smart segment to preview the match. Sammy, despite all of his success and everything he's accomplished, still lacking the confidence because he was part of the bloodline. And he knows that no matter what you try to do to Roman Reigns, he wins. It happened to Sammy at Elimination Chamber. It happened to Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania. I thought it added even more reason for fans in attendance and at home to root for them than they already had. Totally did. Honestly, is one of the best face moments they've had since they won the titles. Mm-hmm. I've kind of felt like they've lacked a bit of juice as champions, but kind of getting motivated and getting up in that moment, knowing Roman's going to be out there, like it got me into it for sure. And then the video package before this match, recapping everything, including what we just discussed from SmackDown, I thought it was one of WWE's best in years. And that's saying something because their video team is incredible, maybe best of the best in professional sports. The reaction and reception that Sammy got coming out, I don't know what it's called, but the traditional gown or whatever, legitimate goosebumps. Between this and Montreal, what an incredible four months for this guy. Heyman then called Sokoa the Sultan of the Spike, which is a great nickname, and gave a boisterous introduction for Reigns. He kind of slapped Sammy's leg with the title while he was moving it back and forth. Sammy then grabbed the mic and he did their introduction in Arabic. That sent the crowd into a frenzy and got them red hot for this match. Chris, all of this preceding the bell being wrong was straight up incredible. It really was. And it's not quite the same as Sammy in Montreal, but Sammy Zayn, who is Muslim, speaking Arabic in front of a Muslim audience was just, just a very cool thing to see. And again, for the record, we hate these Saudi shows and everything that goes along with it. But the idea, for, but separating the Saudi government and the Saudi people is an important thing. Right. And that clearly meant a lot to them. And you, for WWE to have somebody who can speak to that audience um, was was a very cool thing to see. You can still be happy for the, the citizens and the people. You can still be happy for Sami Zayn and Mustafa Ali. And all of them were treated mm-hmm. extremely well 
on this show. And you're right. We disagree with the blood money in the sand and, and what they're doing with the sports washing and all that. But you do separate the event and what happened and the people from the government. And that is what we're talking about here. So let's finally get to the match itself. So KO started, but tagged in Sammy immediately for another sick pop. Roman screamed. They only know Sammy because of me. Then he tagged out for Solo and ranted at the crowd. It took four minutes after the bell for the actual wrestling to start. That's how insane the scene was around this match. There were a lot of heel antics to start and fans were all over Reigns. It took 15 minutes for the action to pick up. KO and Reigns countered multiple signatures into a pop-up powerbomb and a frog splash for a 2.5. Reigns countered a stunner and hit a Superman punch. KO countered a spear with a kick and then hit Reigns with a stunner, but Roman rebounded immediately off the ropes for a spear in a really sick sequence. Sammy and Solo tagged with Zayn hitting a Tope Con Hero and Blue Thunderbomb. Solo countered a Huluva kick with a super kick. Then Zayn kicked the Samoan spike and hit an Exploder plus a Huluva kick for a broken fall. Sammy and Roman fought with Zayn nearly running into the referee and Reigns ran at Sammy with a spear. He got out of the way. So Reigns straight up spears this referee unintentionally with an all-time referee sell on a spear. It was awesome. <laughs> Sammy squared Roman with the Superman punch, uh, but got a spear or Huluva kick. I'm not sure which one he was trying. Got it countered with the Superman punch. Then Owens speared Reigns, beating him on the announce table and steel steps. He cleared both tables when suddenly... As everyone could have predicted, including us, the Usos ran out of the crowd to save Roman and dump an announce table on Kevin, pinning him behind it. They teed off on Sammy with super kicks, only for Zayn to fall backwards into Sokoa's arms. He was just standing up as Zayn was falling. Then Sammy gets out of the way and they accidentally double super kick their younger brother. Reigns on the outside turns his head. And I don't know how they timed this so well, but he turned his head at the exact right time to only see the super kick and not Sammy in Solo's arms. He shoved Jimmy. Then he yelled at Jay for touching his arm and shoved Jay twice, saying, it ain't day one no more. Get out of my ring. Jimmy then super kicked Roman's head off. He pulled the trigger and went catatonic as Jay yelled at him. Jimmy yelled back, I'm doing what you should have done a long time ago. I got you. And then Jimmy super kicked Roman a second time. Then he screamed, it's me and you now. I'm your brother, not him. I would never do you like that. He convinced Jay to kind of get out of the ring. And he said it kind of like someone who shot someone else in a gang war. Yo, we got to move. Like he pulled the trigger and they got to get the hell out of there before the rest of the gang comes. Jay was conflicted. But as he was being pulled away, he started screaming Joe, which is Roman's real name in a very purposeful mm -hmm. fourth wall breaking moment. With the ring finally cleared, Solo took a stunner from Owens and a Huluva kick from Zayn for the 1-2-3 with the referee sliding in late to count the fall in 26 minutes. Sammy then held both titles, standing on the top rope, taunting Roman. He was actually on the middle rope. Taunting Roman with his head in his hands, leaning against the barricade outside in what was an absolutely incredible shot to end this show. Sammy had like a shit-eating grin on his face, kind of like, I told you, dog, knowing that he had finally destroyed the bloodline from within in what was, I thought, a masterful final couple shots to end the show. Now, let me get this out of the way. I'm going 3.75 stars B-plus for the wrestling. But forget that. This was another five-star execution of the continuation of this bloodline imploding story. In fact, this may have been the true bloodline implodes. We have to see what happens on the 1,000-day celebration this coming Friday on SmackDown. But this had everything. 
starting with the right winners in the finishing sequence. But it's all about the two parts of the story. First, Sammy and KO finally completing the implosion of the bloodline, conquering them, proving them and Sammy especially successful, despite Sammy not winning the main title. And then you have Jimmy doing what Jay would not, and actually standing up to Roman, going against the family, and choosing his brother over, of course, his cousin, and perhaps even his younger brother. If you think about it, Jimmy always wore the nobody's bitch shirt back when he returned. And I don't know if they had this in mind back then, but it plays perfectly into that. The accidental super kick of Solo, the Uso's younger brother, that serves as a reason for this to be split with Solo siding with Roman. And the execution of what continues to be the singular greatest storyline in professional wrestling history was just straight cinema. It was catharsis, which is not something you frequently get in wrestling storylines. We saw Jay still operating with a bit of Stockholm syndrome or what have you. Jimmy no longer feels like he's along for the ride in the bloodline. He's at the forefront of the story. Again, this goes back to Jay only submitting to Roman because his brother was injured and was going to get his ass kicked. He still has to be the one to deal the final blow. And this was parallel to the Royal Rumble, where if you remember, Jimmy super kicked Sammy telling Jay, he's not your brother, I'm your brother. Same thing here. He super kicked Roman, he's not your brother, I'm your brother. Chris, I know I've been talking for a while. Let me punctuate this once more. And this reference will go back to some of you who are longtime listeners to my old podcast. This is Chateaubriand. This is filet mignon. This is the lobster sauce and the stuffed crab meat and the truffle butter on top with a Pappy Van Winkle to wash it all down. This is the single greatest storyline in the history of professional wrestling. Man, they did it again. Like they nailed it again. I think back to the Royal Rumble, obviously, the Mm -hmm. moment where Sammy turned on them. I think back to... Uh, Montreal and also the SmackDown Raw a couple of weeks later when Sammy and Kevin Owens um, teamed up together. There was a moment when they kicked Sammy out and now you got this and they just nailed these big moments every single time. And this is why we say it is probably the greatest storyline in pro wrestling history. Do we have to qualify it anymore? Do we really have to qualify it? I'm qualifying it because I wasn't alive when the mega powers happened. But you've seen so it. I, you've I mean, seen a recap of it. I've I've seen it, but I didn't live through it. So I don't want to. Yeah. Know, people may have their own opinions, but. We're back to Jimmy and Jay almost three years ago was when that whole thing happened. It was Hell in the Cell 2020 in the Thunderdome pandemic era. And they've told this story that long. It didn't end at WrestleMania. It didn't have to. We always said there was a greater story. It would have to come back to Jay and Roman. And Jimmy was right there. Never totally submitted to Roman. He, he, he Jimmy's always just all in on one thing. Either he ain't in, and he's with Jay, or he's all in with the bloodline. Now he's back out again. Jay's the one who's always wallowing back and forth, can't make the decisions. It's such a great contrast between the two of them. You know, they're twins. They do the same things together, but they're such different characters here. Mm -hmm. And they executed that entire thing perfectly because I I, I didn't think they were going to do it in Saudi Arabia. No, me neither. We thought it was coming. Yeah, we knew we knew the breakup was going to we knew the breakup was going to happen. Smackdown made it seem like Jimmy was going to turn on on Roman at some point. I didn't expect it to happen the very next night. 
especially coming off a taped SmackDown. It wasn't even a live show. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that was very surprising. It it does rehab a lot of the concerns that I think we had coming out of WrestleMania, right? Where there, I still do believe even now, and you know that opinion will could potentially change based on the way WWE books this. And this is what we said after WrestleMania night two. There were people who were really upset that Cody Rhodes didn't win the title. And what you and I both said, I think, if I'm recalling correctly, was, man, it really seemed like they should have pulled the trigger here and had Cody win the title. How are they going to do a moment bigger and better than this? And now we look at it a couple months later and we say, well, if the bloodline truly implodes and they complete telling this story and Cody, let's say, wins a rubber match over Brock Lesnar, spoiler alert, we'll talk that talk about that a little bit later, at, let's say, Money in the Bank, and then goes on to fight Reigns at SummerSlam, then that would make a lot of sense. Obviously, it's going to be tough for Cody to get that match unless he wins Money in the Bank because they're on different brands right now, but perhaps even WrestleMania 40 if they tell the story all the way out to there. Point is, if they continue telling this story and they keep hitting these major plot points and they keep it as hot or close to as hot as it currently is, then by the time Cody eventually does win the title, which seems to be an inevitability at this point. We may look back on WrestleMania 39 and say, you know what? That was an incredible match. We disagreed with the booking at the time. Now it makes complete sense because it's really tough to argue against the fact that the Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar storyline, despite the storyline, the story itself, the way it started, not really making much sense because they didn't explain it. They eventually did. And everything that we've seen transpire with the Usos, Solo Sokoa, Roman Reigns, and Kevin Owens and Sammy reintegrating them temporarily over the last six weeks or so, it's really paying off. And it's, I don't want to say it's making the decision to not crown Cody on that, that night correct, but it's certainly, as the each month goes by, making it look less and less like a questionable decision. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. In, I was trying to find the words. <laughs> I was trying to find the words for it. <laughs> they're still telling a good story. Look, you could have had Roman lose at WrestleMania and still done much of this. Some of it, um, yeah. But but it will mean more if we have Roman versus Jay at Money in the Bank or at SummerSlam, you know, for the title. Like that that, that is going to mean more. So um, that than it would without the title, just because the very beginning of the story when Roman got the title and everything that came along with it. So, and by the way, they, yeah, man, they still they, could have pulled this off yeah. at like money in the bank and let Roman defend his title on day 1000 of his reign. Like that still should have yes. happened on this show. But when you get what we got on Saturday afternoon, it's really tough to argue against it given it was so great. Yes. Nope. That that's, that's, Totally fair. The bloodline continues to be just a remarkable piece of storytelling of wrestling. And I really, again, want to credit both the Usos mm -hmm. for great just character acting. I know Sammy and KO and Roman get a lot of the attention. Even, even Jay got a good amount of attention. But Jimmy's been a very consistent character in like a good way. Yeah. You, you know what you're going to get from everything that played out was totally in character for him. And so I think that's one reason why this has all worked. Every single piece of this long story has made sense and been within the characters themselves. Since his and return. Wild to, yeah. Sorry, I thought you were done. Finish, finish what you were saying. That was all. That was all. Go ahead. 
Well, no, finish your statement because then because I cut you off, so it sounded weird. That was it. I was just gonna okay. repeat myself. Since his return, Jimmy has been the least important person in this entire storyline. And in a span of three weeks, I would say, but really two days coming out of SmackDown on Friday and now Night of Champions on Saturday, he became the most important person in the entire storyline, or at least the one pushed to the forefront of the entire thing. And that is so interesting. And it takes so much creativity to be able to continue telling the story at such a high level. It remains incredibly impressive. We've talked about Triple H deserving credit, Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens. But to your point, Jimmy, yes. Solo, yes. But Paul Heyman as well, man. He deserves so much credit. He His hands are fully involved in this. And to see it executed on this kind of stage at this level, it's just one of those moments you're not going to forget in professional wrestling. And we have a lot more to talk about right now. I promise you, we will discuss more about the implosion of the bloodline on Tuesday's WWE show. There's a good chance we get no developments from this storyline Monday night on Raw. But nevertheless, we'll do a rewatch of Night of Champions. And I'm sure we will discuss this a little bit more with a couple key points on Tuesday. We need to get, though, to the rest of what happened at Night of Champions. The World Heavyweight Championship, Seth Rollins against AJ Styles. Now, first on SmackDown, Styles fought Karrion Cross In a damn good pre-match promo, Cross said Styles was so focused on the title that he wouldn't see the danger Cross brings. Uh, Meechin came down to chase Scarlett from ringside. Styles hit a Pele kick and a falling forearm. Cross came back with a suplex, bridged, and moved into a vertical suplex. Really nice spot for him. AJ avoided cross hammer and hit phenomenal forearm for the clean W. After the bell, Styles in gorilla position said Rollins is great, but he's not phenomenal. It's exactly what it needed to be. I gotta say, Chris, Cross looked damn good here. It's the second straight match, and granted, they're against Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ Styles, two of the best in the world. Still, the second straight match where he's impressed and couple that with the updated look, it's kind of starting to work for me, the entire carrying cross package. Yeah, he doesn't have to be a world champion. He can still be just an intimidating guy who can be in the mid card and get some wins when he needs to, lose when he needs to, and he fills a spot, and that's an important spot to have. It was much, it, it was needed for some momentum for AJ going into the show after the kind of mess of the Grayson Waller thing last week. Good call. So this match opened the show, which is a decision we will discuss after we break down the entire match. Uh, Rollins came out in a wild leopard or jaguar getup. I mean, the colors were really close to the same as the old Jacksonville Jaguars, which is really ironic when you consider it. He also had his nails painted gold, which pretty much gave away what was going to happen. Rollins rolled through the high-risk offense with a buckle bomb and a frog splash. Rollins countered an avalanche styles clash into a half hurricanrana. Then he caught AJ for an inverted superplex into an inverted DDT. Rollins paused on the top rope with Styles avoiding a Phoenix splash. Styles came back with a sick release suplex of Rollins on the ring apron. Rollins pulled the rope, preventing phenomenal forearm. He had a tope suicida and sold a knee. Styles immediately put him in a calf crusher that got broke with a chokehold. Rollins hit an insiguri and dodged a Pele kick. Then he did the stomp to Styles' hand because AJ didn't duck his head away, which was supposed to be the spot. And that was a kind of weird moment. Uh, Styles escaped a pedigree, hit a Pele kick, and then nailed Rollins with a pedigree of his own for a 2.8 false finish. Styles got cut hard away in the forehead, ate a super kick. Then he tried phenomenal forearm. Rollins came back with a stomp attempt, but his knee collapsed. Styles then rolled into a calf crusher with Rollins countering into a pedigree, but he was unable to cover. He followed with the stomp and a delayed cover for the 1-2-3 in 21 minutes to become the inaugural world heavyweight champion. Triple H came into the ring, hugged him, presented him with the title, raised his arm, and then shook his hand 
as pyro exploded. Now, banger is definitely the right word to describe this. It's fair to point out that five years ago, maybe, this would have likely reached another level as both guys are slower with age, but this was still a great match. It needed a little bit more drama and a couple more false finishes. It's possible that Rollins maybe had significant jet lag because he wrestled about 20 hours after arriving in Saudi Arabia. It would have been nice to see Rollins kick out of a Styles Clash or a phenomenal forearm. AJ ended up not hitting either of them in the match, and therefore it was a one-finisher match that didn't really build to a climax like it should have. They put a lot of effort into it, but the finishing sequence just wasn't really there for me. We did get a solid match story with Rollins getting on Styles' nerves early, then being forced to overcome adversity late, but it just never hit that fourth gear for me in the ring. So I went 4.25 stars and an A. Damn good work both ways. Obviously the right winner in Rollins, who is someone that has deserved this both in reality and kayfabe for a long time. Three years and seven months since his last world title. October 2019 is when he lost it. And also the championship looked incredible on him as well. Agree on the match. Very good stuff. Never really dragged, but never you never had the slew of false finishes that kind of take it to that that top gear. Ultimately, the result we expected and all predicted, and it was deserved. I, I'm, I'm glad Triple H came out to give him the belt. Mm-hmm. Um, the belt looked huge, <laughs> by the way. It did. Like the, the, like the side plates are straight up on Rollins' side, like the old <laughs> WCW belt that was massive uh, back in the day. Uh, so th- that that I noticed that, but um, yeah, again, credit for to Seth for flying across the flying across the world, wrestling a hell of a good match and winning the title and getting back out of there. So uh, good match, expected result, um, and ultimately now Raw hopefully moves into that new era now where we have a world champion on this show for the first time in more than a year. When Roman unified the titles at WrestleMania 38, now we have a working world champion, at least working until he's done with the movie. <laughs> I mean, that's the other problem. We got a working champion. Oh, he's shooting a movie. He's not always available. Well, yeah. Point. Well, no, I mean, he said he's going to be on every single Raw. He said he's going to be on every yeah. uh, That's the next thing I was going to say. So he cut a promo after yeah. the match. He's like, I will be on every Raw with the title going forward. So yes, he did fly back to the United States. I believe he's filming tomorrow, Sunday, one more day in Atlanta, then he's going to go to Raw on Monday. But they planned all of this around his schedule. I should be clear, because I didn't really explain it totally here. He only got into Saudi Arabia for their time very late Friday night. So late uh, Friday afternoon for us here. And then he flew out right after Becky's match, which was the second match on the show. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So he legitimately was there like 20 hours between landing and wrestling. And then jumping on a plane to get right back out because he has more filming to do. And really, I do think that jet lag contributed to the match. It's not that he was bad. The match, I gave it a 4.25. It's really good. But him being tired, Styles being old. Again, if this match happened five years ago, you're talking about a possible 4.75, five-star, A-plus type of match. Now it just didn't reach that level. And that was unfortunate. I thought it was going to be better. So it fell below my expectations. But it still wasn't bad or anything like that. It was still freaking fantastic. Really, Chris, the only flaw I thought with the entire thing was when Rollins wins a title, he spins it. But he didn't do that here. And I I can't, they did a whole montage of every time he won a title, him spinning it in the air. This would have been the next one and they didn't do it. I just thought that was weird. That's a good point. 
that's a good point. I did like Triple H being the one to give it to him though, and all that. But you're right; it it did felt like feel like you know Seth wins the title, he spins it. That's like his whole thing, and we just I guess we didn't uh, yeah we didn't get that. So I I, I want to say one other thing too, um, resulting or related to, to Seth's outfit. I I noticed as I kind of went back and watched the video package that they did mm-hmm. uh, last week, and one of the reasons I I, I loved it. I didn't quite realize at the time was because he was the character I've been saying for a long time. He needs to be, he's not doing all the laughing and a lot of the big stuff. He was serious. He was like, I want this title. I want to win it. I'm, I'm the face of the company. I want to beat Roman Reigns, all this stuff. That's what Seth needed to get back to. You can do the fancy outfits and the singing. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But you, at the end of the day, like you're a serious champion and he was going into the match and he was when he got the belt too. And so I, I hope that continues to bode well for what his kind of character becomes again. Yeah, no doubt. Now to the other topic I alluded to here, this match opened the show, despite being for a world title and being the inaugural crowning of a world champion. Not ideal. There was a reason, which I just mentioned, Rollins had to fly in late Friday and fly out as early as he possibly could Saturday due to the movie filming. But crowning a new world champion, especially when the other title isn't being defended, should be the final match, even if it's billed as a triple main event. Yep. Now, I don't find it opening the show to be devaluing of the title, like some claim. We know it's the second world title. And the WWE Championship with Rollins and Brock Lesnar, when they fought for it, literally opened a WrestleMania. But it was definitely less than ideal. In the end, no one's going to remember the positioning, just the match and the winner. And both of those delivered. And in the context of what happened on Night of Champions, Chris, there's no way in hell this could have followed the tag team match. This had to be the last thing on the show. Very similar to Royal Rumble, where we said, oh, wow, the men's Royal Rumble should be last with Cody winning. It couldn't be because this Roman Reigns bloodline story was so big, was such a big moment. It had to be the last thing anyway. Yeah, ultimately, yes. It is just a further acknowledgement. My, My whole issue with this World Heavyweight Championship from the beginning has basically been like, hey, we're telling you it's the B title because we've made this title because we agreed to a Roman Reigns contract where he doesn't defend it all that much. Mm-hmm. And we need to, we need to make good and we need to do something else. You have um, South Rollins do that video package where he spends the first whole thing talking about Roman Reigns. And now you've got it on this show where it's not the main event. It's just like solidifies like, Hey, this is the B title. And one other thing along those lines at the beginning of the tag team match, Cole says Roman would be the first man in WWE history to hold four titles all at once. And that is a kayfabe acknowledgement that he still has two titles. Yeah. Because he would win two, he would win two tags. So there are still three world championships in WWE right now, which is a problem. And we, and we've said this. Yes. When Roman eventually loses, certainly I got to imagine the universal is going to be retired. Mm-hmm. The reason it's still there is because it's, that is the one that Roman's 1000 day streak is attached to. So you can't exactly fold it into the WWE lineage yet. So it's this weird situation with all that together, but I just Cole saying that before the tag team match did. Li- I, I know you, I know you like say it, it's one title and it for all intents and purposes, it's it is one title. It's effectively one title. Yes, but it is technically kayfabe, in the books too. 
two. Yeah. So there are three world champions right now, and I think that two well just kind of hurts the positioning of the world heavyweight champion. There's two world champions. There's three championship titles, world championship titles. There yes. is, and you can't yes. you can't get around yes. that because that is what you just pointed out. Literally the case. It's because that 1,000 day reign as of today, as of us taping the show. Uh, is with the universal title. If it wasn't, if that was with the WWE championship, it would have already been gone because they would have just said it's the WWE and it's combined and he'd have one new belt and that would be it. But it's not. It's with the secondary title and they cannot end the WWE championship lineage to continue with the universal title lineage because the WWE one has 65 or however many years of history with it. So that's the one that has to continue. So yes, they booked themselves into a very difficult spot. We said this. What was it? Day one pay-per-view 2020. I don't forget the years now. 2022. Uh, January 1st, 2022. As soon as that show ended, we're like, oh my God, they put the title on Lesnar and this is effed. And all that has happened since then is that's been proven out. Now, we've had incredible moments with Reigns as champion, no doubt. Um, The title reign going a thousand days is remarkable, no doubt. But he never really needed the WWE title to do it. He could have done it with the Universal this entire time. So that's the situation we find ourselves in. To your point, yes, technically there are three championships. Effectively, there's two champions. One of them reigns, one of them Rollins. I do agree it would have been nice if Rollins didn't spend as much time during that interview talking about reigns, but it wasn't a negative that he mentioned him and explained how he was going to be different than him. It's just, it was a four-part interview and one of the parts was entirely about Roman. And that was the problem there. We have a lot more to talk about. You made some very salient points. I wanted to address them. Let's go ahead and move on to the third main event, quote unquote, of the show. Cody Rhodes against Brock Lesnar. Now, Brock came out looking like a million bucks and Michael Cole had a great line. He's like, Lesnar's a shark ready to feast on Cody, who basically is open bleeding in the water because he has a cast on his arm. So Rhodes at the bell lured Lesnar outside with a chase around the ring, but quickly got caught inside. Cody ate three belly-to-belly suplexes, then drilled Brock in the head with the soft cast about 10 times, plus he hit two axe handles with it. Cole sold it as being titanium-lined. Lesnar ate a disaster kick and a Cody cutter for a second near fall, but he couldn't cover after crossroads. Then he hit a second crossroads, and Chris, I gotta be honest, in this moment, I wasn't getting swerved necessarily, but I was getting concerned. Like, I was like, they're not gonna (laughs) do this, are they? And like, in four minutes too, you know? Uh, But Lesnar finally countered a third crossroads attempt into the Kimura lock, which once again tells us Cody should never try three straight crossroads. It never works out for him. Uh, Rhodes twice tried the same pin counter while he was in the Kimura with Lesnar keeping it locked in the entire time. He then put his body between Cody and the ropes, which was really cool. Rhodes passed out, so they did the arm drop, but he actually held on and eventually grabbed the bottom rope for a break in an insane pop. The crowd went freaking wild when he grabbed that rope. Lesnar picked up his dead body for an F5, but Rhodes countered into a crossroads for a flat two count. Cody then used the cast four more times, but Lesnar hit an F5 for a delayed two and a half count. Lesnar went back to the Kimura, and Rhodes finally passed out for the knockout win in 10 minutes. Brock refused to release it at the bell, screaming. His face was turning pink. Then after the bell, he stood over Cody, just kind of huffing and puffing at him while he was on the ground in pain. Now, we've established on this show One of my favorite phrases from back in high school, perfection achieved. This was legitimately perfect booking. It could have ended with the first Kimura and been excellent, but letting Cody miraculously find the ropes and get a second wind 
Then having Brock overcome nearly 20 different shots of a cast to his head, plus three crossroads, they both came out of this looking insanely strong with a completely excused loss for Cody. I saw there was a faction of fans saying it's not believable that someone would pass out from an arm bar. Bullshit. People pass out from pain all the time. Not necessarily an arm bar, although you could, you certainly could, but there are tons of examples in the world, Google it, of people going unconscious because there is so much pain that their body can't handle it. It nearly happened to Cody early in the match, and then when Lesnar locked it in the second time, it actually did happen. Now, as I said on the Ultimate Preview, and as I've been saying on the show, Cody winning would have been a legitimate jump the shark moment for his character. He absolutely had to lose. And I thought this was the perfect way to do it. In fact, I believe I had the knockout finish just like this on the Ultimate Preview. I'm going to surprise you guys, I think. I'm going 4.5 stars and an A for this because of the storytelling and the selling in addition to the wrestling. I thought it was completely on point. Lesnar getting angry when his opponent refuses to die pops me so hard. It's nearly impossible to do a match like this better than they did it. And that's why I'm going with that grade. I thought it was awesome. This vastly exceeded my expectations. I I, I kept thinking coming in, how is this going to play out? Is it just going to be a Brock squash? How is Cody going to make something happen? And I came back to the Brock-Daniel Bryan match at Survivor Series a number of years ago where Bryan hits him with the low blow and that gets him back into the match. He gets him both spots and Brock ultimately wins. And so we ultimately got that sort of with the cast. And it was kind of funny that it took like a few minutes into the match before Cody realized, oh, I can use the cast as a weapon, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is its own whole kind of thing. Should that be allowed? I don't know. I don't know. If you think about it, it was almost like how you're allowed to wear a chest protector. But wearing a chest protector is kind of like a heel thing to do. Normally, oh, I've got a cast. Oh, I actually am secretly using it as a weapon would be an easy heel thing to do. But because it's Brock Lesnar, Cody's just naturally going to be the underdog in that situation. Well, also, so, to your, to your point, it was very babyface that he didn't do it immediately at the bell. He did it once and was like, oh, yeah. shit, I can use this. So it was very babyface yeah. of him that he didn't go into the match looking to use it as a cheating mechanism. But he eventually did because, hey, if it's allowed and they're not they're not going to DQ me for it, then I'm going to use it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I just if, if you take it the logical step, I'm just waiting for somebody to just like have two giant t- titanium arms. Uh, <laughs> that's all legal now. But but uh, it, it, it all worked for me. It was a great story, an unexpected way. And I was like, oh, like Cody can be in this match and he can lose this match while still looking pretty good and not just get the crap kicked out of him. So ultimately, I didn't love I didn't love coming into this, but coming out of it, I think everybody looks better and I think they really nailed it. So credit to everybody involved for that whole plan and that execution. I like this a lot more than the backlash match oh, yeah. as well. Oh yeah. So, so um definite definite step in the right direction. What does Cody do now? I'm sure we'll find out on Raw. Um, theoretically, his arm is more broken now. I I, I don't right. know, but um, you would think. Yeah, we'll see. It should be it I should be know. to the point that he's not able to wrestle for you know eight weeks or so, which would be SummerSlam. So that's why I don't think necessarily we're going to get Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes at SummerSlam. 
because, well, number one, how does he even get that match? They're on different brands, unless he wins Money in the Bank. But number two, he has a broken arm in kayfabe now. And it's a broken arm that has been either broken more or traumatized even more by the Kamara lock. So this guy really should be out of action for seven to eight weeks for it to be, you know, legitimate, right? It does take that long. Yeah, but... They're they're not gonna not have him on Money in the Bank. No, no, no. He'll be on TV, right? but you like, can wear I, a cast on TV. That's fine. Oh, you're well, saying I'm, sorry, I'm saying like maybe I'm bank. saying maybe you put him in the Money in the Bank match and he just loses it. Um, uh, I think I think the, the injury because of the arm. I think the injury means he isn't able to compete in the qualifiers, and I don't think he's on that show. At least not as in a, in a wrestling capacity. Maybe I would be very surprised um, to have Cody and actively not put him on an international show like that. But yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out Monday what they're going to do, because it is you, you do kind of got to explain how that's going to work now. Yeah. I mean, the guy has to be out from wrestling for a period of time. And that is, I think, four weeks, maybe five weeks at most away. Maybe they can do it where he does, you know, he um, doesn't qualify, so he's not in that match So he, because he's unable to compete, so he can't be in a qualifier. But he does fight Brock on the show, and he gets cleared the week before or something like that. You know, he can wear a soft cast and be in it. I, I don't really know. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with Cody, though. Monday Night on Raw. You're right. When I when I interrupted you earlier, I thought you were talking about Raw, not Money in the Bank. It's going to be, it's going to be weird if he's not wrestling on that show, but that's the story they're telling. So we'll have to see what they do. All right, let's move to the three women's matches. Let's knock these out one by one. We'll start with the big one, Becky Lynch against Trish Stratus. This was second on the show. As I mentioned, Rollins was first. Becky was second. They had to get out of there. Um, Lynch was back in the Beatrix kiddo, yellow and black gear. Stratus was in her signature black and pink. And of course, both were full body suits. Trish drove Becky into the steel steps twice and got a ton of extended offense, which was probably to reduce bumps that she needed to take. Lynch hit an exploder suplex and elevated leg drop. Stratus hit an awesome hurricanrana, throwing Lynch into the ring post from off the apron. Becky came back with diamond dust and a flying leg drop. Stratus rolled through manhandle slam, but Lynch prevented a sharpshooter. Trish tried a hurricanrana out of the corner, but Becky grabbed her legs and dragged her into a Boston Crab that she didn't really lean back into. She didn't execute it that well. Becky barely beat a 10 count, only to immediately eat chick kick for a 2.9 false finish. Lynch caught Stratus taunting with disarm her, but Trish broke it by pulling Becky's hair. After a tussle where they both had two handfuls of each other's hair, Lynch hit manhandle slam, but Stratus broke it by putting her foot on the bottom rope. Trish then rolled outside and peeked under the ring. Then she came back in and distracted the referee. When Becky went outside to get her, Zoe Stark appeared, hitting Lynch with the Z360 outside, fully busting her nose open, then rolling her back inside for Stratus faction and the heel victory in 15 minutes. Now, About midway through this match, Chris, I was planning to be nice and grade this on a scale, a little bit of a curve, because Trish is a part-timer and she's 47 years old. Fuck that. She didn't look any bit a part-timer or 47 years old. We discussed on the Ultimate Preview how it would have been tough to have Becky and Trish feud for, you know, two to three more months all the way out to SummerSlam because of how long their story has already been going and how much it's been delayed. But inserting Zoe into the feud was not only a breath of fresh air with a neophyte like getting this major rub from a veteran, it gave us a great finish to this match. Now Becky can feud with Zoe on TV, perhaps through Money in the Bank in a tag match. Would love to see another NXT call-up team with Becky, so two of them are getting the rub, and then she can go back to Trish, maybe at SummerSlam. Beyond the booking, though, 
which I clearly adored. This was a banger. The fact that Stratus wrestled as well here against Lynch as she did against Charlotte Flair nearly four years ago at SummerSlam 2019 is astonishing. And while she was protected from taking bumps early, she took more than her fair share late. This was legitimately one of the best matches of Trisha's entire career. I went four stars A minus, but I'm telling you this right now. When I rewatch this, I may upgrade it to a low A. This was awesome. Dude, Trisha has been killing it ever since she came back. Like, you know, Lita was the bigger name when, when they both came back. But Trish has been wrestling on and off periodically for a bit. And she more than held her own in the WrestleMania match and everything. She's just been doing a really good job in the ring. And she deserves these one-on-one matches and these spotlights and this stuff like this. Also, her gear was almost the exact same gear she wore when she main evented Raw with Lita. Mm. It was just obviously adding some long sleeves and stuff like that. But it was almost the exact same thing. I forgot. Someone pointed that out on Twitter. It was a great catch. I also love that it said, thank you, Trish, on the back. Yeah, that was funny. Great, just great, simple heel thing to put on, put on your gear. So love that. And look, I haven't been a huge fan of her standing in the ring, delivering long promos. I don't know why they were having her do that. But when it comes to everything else and what she's doing in the ring, great stuff. This finish caught me out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I popped huge when Zoe Starks came. Holy crap, I can't believe they're doing this. They're doing something different. Swerve me. I loved it. Zoe Stark is really the only of the recent NXT call-ups, the only one they really seem to kind of have a plan for. She's looked great in the in the in the few moments we've seen her. We know Triple H loves her, and yeah, so she's involved now, and the story moves forward or in a different direction or something. I was pleasantly surprised by that entire thing. Love the finish, Becky smearing. I think she like put some smeared some blood or some other stuff later on and posted uh, the kill one of the an- another Kill Bill reference after the match as well. So this this blew me away in all kinds of ways. And I loved it. It really was great. I need to take you to task for something you said. What do you mean that Lita was a bigger name than Trish when she came back? Lita is a bigger star than Trish Stratus. In what context? In every context, you know, like she, she was the one you know, when, when girls grew up wanting to be Lita. They didn't necessarily say Trish. Trish Lita was just the bigger star. She just always was because of her work with the Hardy Boys and, and all that kind of stuff. So I when, think... when they both came back, when they both came back, because remember, Lita won the belts with Becky. You know, right. like Lita was the one in that spot too. And so Trish was kind of on the back. They didn't know what to do. We, you know, there was that spoiler of it was going to be a Becky Trish thing. And so Trish has really elevated since that, since that spot. Well, let me make two things clear. Number one, Trish Stratus is a legitimate celebrity. Like now I'm not saying she is, I'm not saying she's, you know, the rock or anything like that, but she's a legitimate celebrity, especially in Canada. She's really, really huge. over Yes. In a wrestling context, I agree that Lita was the better wrestler and more of a role model for women who wanted to be wrestlers. But I completely... I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say she was the better wrestler. I wouldn't even say... I wouldn't necessarily say that. Well, I she, was just saying she's... Just, she was more yeah, athletic and featured... She was more featured in, in wrestling context because of the stuff yeah. she did with the Hardy yeah. Boys is what I'm trying to say. But I completely yeah. disagree with you saying that she's a bigger star than Trish in WWE. 
within a in can't look she does can't trish does canada's got talent no i'm saying in wwe is a big star there i'm saying in In wwe WWE, i would say lita is a bigger star historically Mm. i i disagree i I do think i didn't think that was particularly cool i'd love to hear what the listeners me too shoot us a respond on twitter if if you think lita or trish was no i'll do better uh, just in generally bigger i'll do better monday monday i will post a poll and I want yeah. you guys to all vote. Who was a bigger star? Was slash is, I guess, but really in was. In wrestling. In wrestling. In, in WWE. Trish Stratus or Lita. I'll post that on Monday before Raw. Everyone can vote, and we'll talk about it on Tuesday show. Uh, also, I could not help but wish coming out of this match, though, that Trish was in her prime now. Because imagine putting her and what she could do, again, at 47, okay? Four years after she had that match with Charlotte Flair. That, but, you know, give her rewind 15 years and put her in with the rest of this women's division. Holy shit. It would be absolutely incredible. Congrats I mean, to Trish. You could, thank yeah, you, Trish, yeah. for what you did tonight. Yes, thank you, Trish. You could say she like is as good as she's ever been right now. Honestly. I think she is. Like not 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 call not culturally, but just in terms of the work. You could certainly you could certainly say that. You absolutely can. It, it's unbelievable. It really is. Uh let's move to the Raw Women's Championship. Bianca Belair against Asuka on SmackDown. Belair said she that's so weird to say. Raw Women's Championship on SmackDown. Uh, Belair said that she respected the Asuka she fought at WrestleMania, but not the one who blindsided her in her hometown. The piped-in boos for mentions of Asuka here were blatantly obvious and annoying. We'll talk more about that on Tuesday. Uh, I think there was also a cut-in of fans cheering that was unrelated to the actual segment. Anyway, Asuka's music hit. She attacked from behind, screaming as she locked in an armbar before they got separated. Then Belair got her in a KOD, but the WWE officials literally caught Asuka falling, which was the oddest thing I've ever seen in a brawl. Bianca's promo was fine. The initial attack was strong. Asuka still being unhinged was pretty great. But Belair was ice cold here. And the production for this entire segment absolutely killed it for me. Yeah. Look, Bianca, we already, we've said it a while. She has really been cooled off. People aren't as into her. It just in, in crowds. Um, and her, she's never had the strength of stand out there and cut a recap cap promo. Mm-hmm. Here's what happened three weeks ago and two weeks ago. And I'm going to do this. It's never really worked. I wanted to see some more anger from her, like, like just not anger, but just like intensity, like almost cut promos more like an eighties wrestler. Just you're into it as opposed to recapping everything the way WWE always has them do it. So I was, uh, yeah, yeah, and it was weird. Like, if Asuka just wanted a rematch, she could have asked. She before she wanted the title, now she wants a fight. It was just, it's not Bianca's fault. There's been the the build for this has been very yeah. poor, and then the go home segment was not good either. All right, so for the match, uh, Belair got driven into the steps. Later, she hit a great running flip over neck breaker. Asuka dragged Bianca off the ropes by her braid, but ate a backbreaker. Belair came back with a handspring moonsault. Bianca escaped an armbar, hit a spine buster. They countered pin attempts. Asuka dragged Belair out of the ring via her braid, but Bianca threw her into the steps. Belair battered Asuka for a while, and with the referee distracted, Asuka missed a missed attempt. Uh, Bianca countered her into the KOD, but Asuka countered her again into an armbar. Belair eventually broke it with a lifted powerbomb. Then with the referee distracted a second time, Asuka bent underneath the bottom rope with her head kind of hanging out of the ring. She purposely spit more mist onto her own taped hand. Then she moved back into the ring and actually allowed Belair to pick her up in the KOD. While she was in it, she rubbed her mist-covered hand into Bianca's eyes 
before following rule number two with a double tap, two kicks to the back of the head to win the title in 15 minutes in a bit of a shocker. Let me get the negative out of the way quickly. The crowd was dead for this. It was the only match on the entire show that they were dead for. And it was in large part because of number one, three hot openers, but also because as we just mentioned, WWE absolutely killed Belair's momentum and popularity with smart fans because of the way they booked her in this title reign. But that's where the negative stops. The match was extremely well wrestled, far better than the reaction it got. And they swerved us the whole time. They kept leading us to expect Bianca winning with nearly every sequence that they had in the second half, pretty much telling us, oh, Bianca's gonna counter or reverse and she'll eventually get the win. And then they completely turned the tables with an extremely inventive finish that made Asuka look badass and smart while simultaneously protecting Bianca. Great job by Corey Graves also on commentary. He explained the finish immediately. Great job by the camera capturing every part of it and great execution of it from both Asuka and Belair who sold the mist in her eyes and then of course ate those two kicks. I'm going lower with my grade than Becky Trish mostly because the crowd didn't elevate it at all. And I may even end up going higher on rewatch, but I'm actually gonna say 3.75 stars and a B plus. The change for the title has been long overdue. Now we have murder clown Kana version of Asuka as champion. It's an incredible development. I've been talking about it since WrestleMania that I've wanted this, and I cannot wait to see what happens, not just with Asuka, but also with Bel Air going forward. This is the second time on this show where I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe they did that in Saudi Arabia. There was the, 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 obviously the close of the show with the tag team in this. Um, to, to the point where I think we need to just reset or at least update our expectations when it comes to Saudi shows as these are shows where important stuff often happens. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's, it's no longer a secondary show that's not even in storyline, obviously. We get big matches, we get title matches. Major things happen here that are in storyline, that are title changes, that are whatever. So I was very, we were we were very surprised Asuka didn't win at WrestleMania. I still think Asuka should have won at WrestleMania. But it is good to finally see this happen. The crowd was on Asuka's side. They weren't into it very much. The ones that were, were on Asuka's side mm-hmm. going into this match. Bianca needed to be refreshed, reset. And this is a great opportunity for her to do that. Asuka is a future Hall of Famer, deserving of winning the title. It was a creative way to do the mist in a different way, to put it on your hand, to rub it on somebody's face. I was kind of surprised at the one, two, three, in part because Asuka just doesn't win very many matches by pinfall. Right. And so to beat Bianca, to end this streak with a couple of kicks was kind of deflating in the sense that mm. I feel like Asuka needs a major finisher, like a physical type of finishing move so she can get false finishes out of them and stuff like that. I was as surprised at the one, two, three, because Bianca won as, as well as just what the move was. So um, figure something out there I think would be nice, but match was really well done. Finish shocked me. So like that's, that's everything you look for in a match. So uh, very well done job by everybody. And, this is a big moment for everybody involved to kind of move forward in with, with the raw women's championship on <laughs> SmackDown. Um, did you ever watch Oscar during her dominant championship reign in NXT? 
Yes, that was a period when I watched NXT all the time. So even then, she would win matches, not with the mist, but with similar like kicks to the back of the head or just devastating types right. of moves because the vast majority of the time, to your point, 85%, maybe 90% of the time, she would win with the Oscar lock because that was a submission finisher. And yes, they have not established a pinfall type of finisher for her. But I thought the combination of the mist then getting double tapped was more than enough to go ahead and beat Bianca Belair. It's just that she has been built so strong with the Super Cena type of booking yes. that you're like, it should take more to beat her than just that. But that was yeah. selling the mist. And they've done a really good job over the last three weeks telling us this is not your normal mist. It's better, it's stronger, and it's gonna affect Bianca if she gets it in her eyes. I still anticipate, and I think I talked about this on the Ultimate Preview. I know I mentioned it on the live show, the pre-show on Twitter Spaces. I do anticipate Asuka and Io Sky for SummerSlam. That is the move. It also now makes a little bit more sense, as you mentioned, why they did not pull the trigger at WrestleMania, though I still would have preferred that. This is hardly the first time in WWE history where you expect the title change at WrestleMania, they don't do it, and then you get it the show or two shows after the fact. It's because they want WrestleMania to have certain moments and they want other things to not happen at WrestleMania. I do want to see at this point a straight up dominant run for Asuka, even if that means beating Io at SummerSlam. I want suited, badass, killer clown Asuka, the NXT Asuka with this new twist for as long, Chris, as I possibly can get it. Yes, and to, to the WrestleMania point, like I get, look, like Bianca is somebody you showcase at WrestleMania. You've got other things going on, all that stuff. But again, Asuka has never won at WrestleMania, which is a travesty. And so if it we is. were doing this two month, two months later or whatever, would have been nice to just do it then. But it is what it is. She's got the title, and I'm excited to see what they do with her. Exactly. Uh, SmackDown Women's Championship: Rhea Ripley against Natalia. Ripley straight up destroyed Natty. She caught her from behind at the bell because Dominic distracted her. She threw Natty into the steel steps and immediately hit Riptide in the ring to win in less than two minutes. Rhea then carried Dom in her arms and bent down in the ring to taunt Natty, who was sitting in the corner, after the bell with Dom pointing and laughing at her. We got 30 minutes of women's wrestling preceding this, so of course we had to get a two-minute match. I'm being sarcastic. Don't worry, just joking. This was obviously a purposeful booking to make Ripley look as strong as she possibly could, and it paid off the fact that Natty kind of had no business being in this title match at all. The match doesn't really get a grade on its own. I give the segment a C plus just because of, I have to grade something, right? The plus is the post-match celebration by the heels. In fact, that could probably advance it an entire later letter grade. It was freaking fantastic. <laughs> Ripley looked awesome coming out of this. That was the entire point of the booking, which is what I said when it was booked. Though I didn't expect it, Chris, to be this dominant and this fast, but I also give credit to Natty for putting Rhea over like this because- she did the job, she's the veteran, and she invested by doing this in Ripley's long-term success. It was exactly what it needed to be. There was no build for it. Natty didn't deserve to be in that match. Rhea's been dominant. Rhea wins dominant with help from a distraction from Dominic for some extra heel heat. Everything paid off. Look, if you're doing Night of Champions and every title has to be on the line, like well, that totally is fine and makes sense. The problem is that not every title was on the line. We didn't have the U.S. title on the show either. So it's just kind of incongruent there. The celebration was obviously by far the best part uh, as well. Uh, that, that was, By the way, that was Dominic jumping into Rhea's arms <laughs> yeah. and her catching him and then leaning down to doing it herself. So like really impressive uh, strength from her. And last thing to note about this, 
something my brother pointed out to me, he texted it. There were more women's matches on a WWE show in Saudi Arabia than there are at AEW Double or Nothing on Sunday on a 10-match card. Oh, yeah. And and by the way, also more matches than we get on a three-hour Raw any given week. And more time. We got more in-ring time, 32 minutes, than we've gotten on WWE TV in three weeks combined. At least main yeah. roster, right? I've just, I've just specific, yeah. Specific but yes, to your point, in Saudi Arabia, can, can, especially considering where they were the first time they went there, and the women weren't allowed to wrestle. Um, again, I don't want to say it. It's not done in a sports washing way, but Triple H said at the time that they were going to improve that. Yeah, when they wrestled in Saudi Arabia for the women, and they have. And that is worth acknowledging. It's fair to note that they delivered on their promise. And again, that first match even with Natalia, which I think was on the second show they did there. The first one, they thought they could get a match on and couldn't. The second one they did, they had the bodysuits and the t-shirts. Eventually they went away from Mm -hmm. the t-shirts. Then they had real women's matches with the titles on the line. Now we had three, including a signature legends match on the show. It is appropriate to note that progress is legitimately being made when it comes to WWE while simultaneously saying in regards to WWE entertainment while simultaneously pointing out that it doesn't excuse anything that goes on politically or socially in the country, not just in the present, but for decades and hundreds of years going in the past as well. It's it's disgusting. Um, In the context of professional wrestling, it is fair to note. Yes. From where they started to now, that is progress when it comes to women's entertainment that's a small drop in the bucket compared to the treatment of women on a social scale in this country. Yes. Okay. And last, but certainly not least, the Intercontinental Championship Gunther against Mustafa Ali. We got to see Ali visiting Mecca in a video package, and he was also wearing a keffiyeh. I think that's how you say it. I apologize if I got that wrong. The headdress type of thing. Uh, Ali got chopped, booted hard off the apron, and then thrown like a dog toy into the ring post. He went on a big run with a rolling neck breaker, a powerbomb of Gunther out of the corner. He pulled himself up the ropes backwards and nailed a 450 for an insane pop and false finish. Gunther screamed that Ali didn't belong in the ring with him. Ali then countered a powerbomb with a super kick and hit a tornado DDT. Then Gunther avoided another 450 and hit an insane shotgun dropkick that sent Ali like fully across the ring. He added a powerbomb and retained the title in eight minutes. Then he wiped his feet off with Ali behind him after the bell. Seeing Gunther in a sprint like this was crazy, but it goes to further show his greatness and how dominant they are booking him. Ali got all the hope spots one could want. They did enough to have you believe he might possibly maybe hit that second 450 and get the win, but ultimately Gunther just dominated, overpowered, and prevailed. It was the right decision given the lack of build and Gunther's ongoing reign. It was really as good as you can do with these two guys in eight minutes. I do hope this elevated Mustafa Ali long-term and WWE now sees him as a legitimate mid-carder, 3.75 stars and a B plus. Very entertaining stuff. Ali had no chance of this match, but they did a good job of giving you that slight, slight hope that maybe something could happen. So you're right. Everybody looked good. Everybody looked dominant. Uh, I'm sorry, Gunther looked dominant. And kind of in the context of this show, you know, it's clear like the, the the phrase they're using for Gunther is longest reigning Intercontinental Champion this century. It's easier than saying 35 years going back to like 1987, which is Hockey Talk Man's record. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and but we've also ended the longest women's streak and uh, of the modern era, not longer than Mula, uh, in what we got of Bianca, and we ended the longest tag team reign of all time in the Usos. Something that Triple H has done, he he's leaned on these long term reigns. You had Bianca, you had the Usos, you've got Gunther, you've got Roman, and some of them are falling falling away now. But Gunther is now. I want to say a month away from passing the next closest person. He's only three months maybe away from passing Honky Tonk Man for the all-time reign. Curious if that'll happen. Um, but he he looks great. He did a great job at the press conference as well. The crowd was cheering for Gunther at the press conference, saying you deserve it and stuff like that. And he had immediately turned it around on them and turned it into booze. So that was great stuff from him. It's really been awesome to see him in this spot. He has elevated that title so much. Mm-hmm. It's still ugly as sin, <laughs> but I basically associate it with Gunther now. Right. And that's a credit to him. Not only is it ugly as sin, it actually looks way too much like the new World Heavyweight Championship. I'm not saying they look identical or anything, but they're so similar looking that it's actually kind of surprising to me. Um, Kind of. I, I guess mean, in the context. A lot blacker. The, yeah. the, the World Heavyweight title is a lot more gold. This is a lot more black. Yeah, that's fair to say. But it's it, it's like you took the Intercontinental title and expanded the plating is kind of the way it looks. Or vice versa. You could say it the yeah. other way. Just, can you imagine if, if Gunther had the, had the old classic Intercontinental belt on him right now? Oh, man. How awesome that would look. Yeah, that'd be incredible. Absolutely incredible. Maybe as he gets closer to the record, they can flip it back or use it as a reason to flip it back. I don't know. Just please, come on. That old title is great. I think the issue, from what I understand, is WWE does not own the copyright, I guess it would be, to it. So therefore, mm. they have to pay for utilization and every time they sell a belt and all that type of stuff. I think that's one of the reasons they changed it, but they went way in a different direction. And man, I just very much I would, disagree and dislike what they did. I would I would take the Attitude Era IC belt if they can use that uh, as well. That would be it's better. generic kind yeah. of... It's a very generic and boring one, but it looks better than what they got now. It does look better than what they have now. That is definitely true. All right. That is our instant reaction to WWE Night of Champions, which means we are left with giving you our final grades for the show. Let me first recap where we were on the pre-show entering here. On the pre-show, Chris was, I think, 90 out of 100, a A-. minus. I forgot what my number grade was. If I was maybe a little bit higher, I think I was like 92, I maybe said, Uh, but I was also at an A minus pre-show expectation grade. And you, the listeners before night of champions began, you all got to vote 32% A, 62% B, 3% C and 3% D to F. That averages out to a B plus, actually kind of a lowish B plus 87 out of 100. So Chris, this is the post-show grade time, the final grades. And as always, you get to go first. So what is your final grade for WWE Night of Champions? I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think I'm going to go with an A because I'm going to go like low A, like like a 94, 95 type of A because we got a massive moment. We're always going to remember the Usos turning on Roman. We've got a new world heavyweight championship crowned in a great match. We had two surprises in the women's matches, one of which ended an all-time record reign. Uh, Cody versus Brock was good. Ali versus Gunther was good. 
and we got an LA Knight shout out in the middle of the show for some reason. So like, I got nothing to complain about about this show. Everything delivered, and we got some big moments. I'm going to go with an A. Why is an A surprising, or why are you surprised that you went with an A here? Because my expectation was on the B plus A minus range. I didn't expect the show to include so many massive moments, such as the bloodline explodes and Bianca's streak ending. I didn't expect either. I didn't necessarily expect either of those to happen on the show, especially the Bianca one. Mm -hmm. And so my expectations were far exceeded. Though to both of our credits, we did at the end of our ultimate preview say, hey, you know, those three title matches we discussed where we don't think there's going to be changes, which one's the most likely? And we both did pick Asuka over Belair as the, as the most likely of the three. We did. We did. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that you're surprised at your grade because I think it's appropriate. And I could make an argument if you wanted me to, that this deserves consideration as an A-plus show because this was perfectly booked. Every single match. From a creative standpoint, there were just no flaws whatsoever. The actual wrestling we didn't get any A-plus matches. So I can't say it was a perfect show top to bottom, but it sure as shit was damn close. Asuka beat Belair, check. Rhea squashed Natty, check. Gunther beat Ali in a banger, check. Trish beat Becky and integrated a young star after a match that completely exceeded expectations, check. Brock, Cody, and Rollins Styles were exactly what they needed to be after a couple more banger matches and then we got the main event holy shit the main event wwe and really triple h here took blood money in the sand which used to be an awful elevated house show filled with over the hill legends and matches without any booking or any consequence and turned it for the second straight time and really third straight time but at least second straight that triple h had the book into a terrific show with major implications and major developments that felt perhaps for the first time like it actually deserved to be how WWE built it the first time they ever went there, which was Michael Cole saying a show as good or better than WrestleMania. You could definitely make a case yeah. that this was better than night two of WrestleMania this year, both from a match quality standpoint and a booking standpoint and everything else. In fact, night I am two, the yeah. game, JR. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. This was a masterpiece from a creative standpoint, and Triple H deserves a lot of credit for it. This was akin to what you would get from an NXT takeover back in the day. Everything made sense. It was booked exactly as it should be. Storylines moved forward, and you got those big explosive moments, Asuka over Belair that you mentioned, and of course the main event, the bloodline imploding that we've been wanting to see. The fact that it happened on a Saturday afternoon, okay, that's a little bit odd. But I gotta tell you, I am completely aligned with you in A for this show, not even a question about it as far as I'm concerned. Chris, I'm wondering, what would your number grade be out of 100? Like 95. Like 95, okay. And I'm... yeah. Yeah, I think I'm right there. 96, I'd probably be a little bit higher because I was so close to an A+. The wrestling just wasn't quite there from an in-ring quality standpoint, but holy shit, was it freaking great. Uh, and in terms of our listeners, the getting overheads, you guys were right there along for the ride. Uh, it ended up being 64% A, but for a long time, it was 69% A for this poll. It was just at the end somehow, it changed. Um, but 64% A, 31% B, 
3% C and 3% D to F. Those don't even freaking count because there's no way this was a C or D show. So forget that. I was able to average it out to a 94.15, which is an A just below what you and I were at. But everyone in agreement, this was an A show for WWE. Um, they deserve a lot of credit for putting on a crazy, entertaining product. And by the way, this was thought to be one of the two down shows between WrestleMania and then going overseas to Money in the Bank in London and then coming back for SummerSlam in, I think, Nashville, Tennessee. So for them to put on this quality show in what was a quote-unquote in-between, maybe quote-unquote B-level even, premium live event, that says a lot. No, SummerSlam's in Detroit. Oh, that's right. It was in Nashville last year. Yeah. Yeah, Nashville last year. I'm going to be there. That'll be fun. Yeah, no, you're right. The next two shows are the big shows. So like that's when we expected bigger things to happen. Um, last couple thoughts on the show. The LA night thing I mentioned, um, there were rumors. So, so, so this morning I wake up. I didn't watch SmackDown yet. This morning I wake up and I roll over and I pull up my phone. I accidentally hit like the, the trending button on Twitter. And LA night is like, top five in my <laughs> personalized trending things. So I, I was like, oh shit, what happened? So I click on it. Everybody's loving what LA Knight did on SmackDown, which I went back and watched and it was great. And he's over like hell. And the other parts were, hey, there's rumors they might add a pre-show match with LA Knight to this card. They obviously didn't, but I, but I think them acknowledging him in the middle of the show for no reason whatsoever was sort of a way to kind of do that because there were LA night chants at the press conference in Saudi Arabia on Friday as well. So hopefully it, between that, between getting the shot up, between being in a money in the bank qualifier with Montez Ford, um, hopefully he's getting a bit of a, a, a push here, which would be really cool. And last thing for me, Cole opens the show by saying on the banks of the red sea and for any other Michigan state alumni out there, you probably you might have caught yourself like I did, thinking he was about to read the opening line of the Michigan State fight song, which is on the banks of the Red Cedar, which is the river that runs through campus on Michigan State. So that caught me a few times. I hope any other Michigan State fans did as well. And uh, that's it for me. Of course, you bring that Michigan State bullshit here to the end of the podcast. Of course you do. Um, I did not catch that, and I certainly would never have known the Michigan State fight song. But you did happen to say the word acknowledge. 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 Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. And I actually think that you missed. They did acknowledge LA Knight. They did. But they also acknowledged the Street Profits earlier in the show. So he wasn't the only one singled out for that. They took two people who are, or two, a group and a person uh, who are really over and did put them in front of the crowd. Uh, and to reference or explain a little bit further what Chris was talking about, on the press conference, which was Friday at noon, Triple H opens the press conference. They introduce him. He comes out. I think they chanted like, thank you, Triple H, or there's something about trips first. And then while he's talking, like two minutes into the press conference, they naturally start chanting LA Knight. And Triple H pauses, like acknowledges them, and then continues with what he's trying to do. LA Knight is over like Rover. We will talk about what happened on SmackDown on our next WWE episode, which is coming this Tuesday on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We'll talk LA Knight. We'll talk everything from SmackDown and, of course, everything from Monday Night Raw as well. But it was really cool to see that Friday. He got a really nice um, reaction Friday, both on SmackDown and in Saudi Arabia, where he wasn't even at the press conference. And then, of course, he got a huge pop Saturday as well. Guess what? They're not blind to this, even though for some effed up reason, they decided to 
pipe in booze for a guy who's getting clear baby face cheers on TV. A taped show, maybe we can excuse it as long as it doesn't happen again. Uh, Chris, this was a loaded edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Of course, our first of two instant reaction episodes this weekend. I appreciate all of you listening along as we broke down everything that happened on WWE Night of Champions. We will be back on Sunday with an AEW Double or Nothing and NXT Battleground instant reaction just like this, two for one, both in the same show. And there's a very good chance that Vintage Chris Vanini and I both discuss the succession finale as well. So a triple instant reaction podcast is possible on Sunday. Between now and then, we will have another live pre-show on Twitter Spaces. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And don't forget in our podcast feed, we have ultimate previews, both for AEW Double or Nothing and NXT Battleground. So you can go back and listen to those before the respective pay-per-view and premium live event on Sunday evening. We appreciate all of you listening to this show. On the way out, allow me to hit a couple more reminders first. It's all about the five. It is indeed all about the five here on Getting Over. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also remember, I happen to love the number five. For just $5 a month, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Get bonus audio, news posts, and direct interaction with us over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. More than the bonuses that you get, you're supporting the show. You're keeping us afloat. We'd greatly appreciate if you become a member. Also, do not forget, we will be back on Tuesday with our next WWE episode. As I mentioned, Fallout from Night of Champions, everything that happened on SmackDown, and the Raw after the premium live event. All of that going down this Tuesday on Getting Over. It is time for the Silver King and Vintage to sign off, so allow me to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.